You are listening to Just Another Podcast. Contact us directly at Just Another Podcast Live at gmail.com. All right, welcome to another episode of Just Another Podcast. I'm your boy, Daryl. And I'm Will. We're excited that you guys are continuing to listen to what we have to talk about. Um, and so today we're going to actually, we know the inauguration just happened. And so we're going to talk about Amanda Gorman today. But before we get started, we want to actually let you guys, if you haven't already heard her speech, we're going to run the speech really quickly. Um, and if you heard it, skip about five minutes, um, but we'll, we'll jump into it as soon as it's over. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace, and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it. Because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith we trust, for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe 
now we assert. How could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be, a country that is bruised, but whole, benevolent, but bold, fierce, and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation, because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blenders become their burdens, but one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with every breath from my bronze-pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West. We will rise from the wind-swept Northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked South. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover in every known nook of our nation in every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Mm. Let's give us some snaps over the podcast airs. <laughs> All snaps for Miss Amanda Gorman. Um, so, Will, go ahead and jump in. What What are your thoughts? That was, to me, that was the epitome of what Black excellence means. I mean, you know, <clears throat> and, you know, we've heard these stories many times before, but for a young black woman, not only the product of a single mother home of a low income background, but somebody that defied the odds, made it to one of the most prestigious institutions in the world, Harvard University, and now has become the youngest um, inaugural laureate in history. Like that speaks volumes. And I think like that uh, talks to the testament of truly like going after your passion and truly going after something that you really want. And I think, you know, something that's interesting, I was watching um, the interview that she did with Anderson Cooper uh, later on after, uh, later on in the day after the inauguration. And she actually mentioned that, you know, she had a speech impediment, right? And so for somebody to speak so elegantly, some, for somebody to speak so clearly, somebody, for somebody to speak with so much umph, and then deal with something like a speech impediment is like, I have like just, she is truly, truly a magnificent young woman. I just, I, like you said, snaps over the airways. Like that, that, that was phenomenal. Definitely, and I think, I think for me, kind of the the triumph, right? So we kind of talked about the speech impediments. Um, I think a lot of people, Steve Harvey, talked about having one. Um, but the amazing Joe Biden, thing, Joe Biden as well. Um, and so. Almost that struggle makes their oh, voice excuse even. Me. Uh, President Joe Biden. Yeah. Because respect <laughs> on that man's name. Yeah. So even even I think those those issues and those those circumstances make their voices even more powerful today. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely something that was exciting. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I did notice when she first started off is kind of her when she was she was addressing some of the people in the crowd. Mm -hmm starting with President Joe Biden, and then she led into Dr. Biden, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that's definitely that. been a debatable topic mm -hmm. on whether or not, um, and for those who don't know, um, Jill Biden, first lady, is also a professor. I'm not sure what she teaches. Yeah, um, so she's a um, she's she's a professor. I forgot um, what school she teaches at, but she actually um, holds the EDD which uh, for those of you who are not familiar is a doctorate of education and coincidentally the same degree that I'm aiming to complete this fall. I mean, this uh, semester. And I think Daryl, you hit a really important point. So there was a, um, there was a New York times article that came out. Um, I want to say a little bit after the election results came in and the author was basically saying that she should drop 
that doctor and just go be referred to as Mrs. Biden or the first lady. And it was this notion that, you know, that her doctor quote unquote was not worth it. And it received a lot of backlash as it should have. But, um, but yeah, there, I would love to talk a little bit about, you know, just the, just the differences and different terminal degrees and like just the respect and, or the disrespect that a lot of them, um, get. Definitely. Um, and so I know for, before we kind of talk about other, other terminal degrees, I think it's important to know, um, that I think it was more than a name thing. Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of people who thought being first lady should be priority. Some mm -hmm. people thought she shouldn't even teach anymore while, mm -hmm. while he's in office. Um, and so I, I, I applaud Jill Biden, um, Dr. Jill Biden for continue to do what she does. Right. Um, cause she has definitely established her identity. Um, and it doesn't just go away just because her husband makes a decision. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's a beautiful thing that she can still live in her truth while serving in the capacity of a first lady. Definitely. Um, but of course, getting doctorate degrees, there's there's always this this stigma, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's there's a huge misunderstanding of the term doctor in general across mm -hmm. the board. Mm -hmm. um, and so there there are many types of doctors. Most commonly, when you hear the word doctor, you think of your common physician, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you were to go to your your common family medicine doctor. You know, that's what you're usually thinking about. White coat. Uh, this is the guy I see um, mm -hmm. whenever I feel sick. Mm -hmm. um, but in actuality, doctor is a term that refers to your level of knowledge in any particular field, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so you see this used for, for example, me, I have a doctorate of pharmacy, right? And so there's mm -hmm. a form D. So that D stands for doctor. Um, you'll see our colleagues who are in the law field have a JD. Mm -hmm. uh, George doctorate, um, as Will mentioned, the EDD uh, doctorate in education. Um, and so I think there, there's, a, there's a common misconception on who should be referred to as doctor and who shouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what are your thoughts on that, Will? So for me, it's, it's a bit problematic, right? Because um, like you mentioned, when people refer to people as doctors, aside from um, medical doctors so mds the other common um you know phrase for most doctors are phds right but there's so many delineations within like um a variety of different fields like for my field we have phds which are uh doctors of philosophy but we also have eddds which are doctors of education and so like there's this whole notion for a very long time that you know uh edd wasn't you know as great as a phd or vice versa but at the end of the day at least from my experience they're literally the same thing right and so this notion and going back to the point of uh dr Jill Biden, the notion that somebody stated that, you know, she should um, drop that title or stop teaching. I think that um, one, that's sexist, uh, frankly, and two, that takes away from the years of liberation and the years of equality and voting um, rights that women have specifically worked towards, right? And it's interesting because, um, you know, sidebar a little bit, um, there was this, there have been like this litany of posts um, since the election happened that shows all the vice presidents since time. And then it shows uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris. And it's like all these white men and then you have this black slash uh, Southeast Asian woman. And, you know, people have these notions of what they quote unquote think the people in these positions should look like and what their educational um, background should look like. So, yeah, it's, it, it's unfortunate that some people feel this way, but you know, I just like similar to what, um, the point that you made earlier about the emphasis on the doctor, I think that's important because it shows number one, the time and effort that these people have taken in order to attain these degrees. But number two, it also shows the feats that they've had to overcome, excuse me, in order to be in these positions. Definitely. And I think when it when it comes to to naming or how you refer to someone, I think it's definitely more of a 
personal preference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether a person, whether they have a form D, whether they have a doctor in psychology of, or education or medicine um, or psychiatry, mm-hmm. I think their preference on how to be um, referred dress. to mm-hmm. is, is what matters. But I think mm-hmm. they all deserve that respect. Right. Definitely. Um, and so these are people who have put in the time and put in the effort to master a certain field. And so regardless of what field they are, um, definitely, I think there's a stigma of of MD meaning more than other degrees. But I think when we're thinking about the term doctorate, it's it's just showing a level of professionalism and achievement in a certain area and not mm-hmm. necessarily being a physician, because there are there are physicians who don't have MDs. There's some yeah. that have ODs and all or DOs and all types of things. So there's a, there's a lot of alphabet soup, um, but definitely when you see somebody who has has a doctorate degree, mm-hmm. definitely ask them what their preference is. And I think that's, that's the best way in general uh, to be most respectful. Definitely, definitely. Um, and so, and so I think, I think one of the things that we've seen coming out of inauguration is just so many firsts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just so many, we, we kind of hit on Amanda Gorman and, and Kamala, Kamala Harris and so many, so many diverse candidates within the cabinet coming forward. Um, do, do you personally feel like this is a new window or space and time which opportunities are limitless or, um, or is it, or is this just a extreme pushing to the extreme opposite, right? Um, because Trump era was so bad, is is mm-hmm. is it all genuine, or is it just an effort to show things can be different? Is it sustainable? What are your thoughts? Mm, that's a that's a really loaded question. I think um, one, it's it's a step toward the right direction, definitely. Um, and two, um, it can be perceived as you know, like doing the most or doing too much, right? Because like, let's not forget, they were, like, aside from uh, President Biden, uh, former, mm, it's hard for me to say that word, uh, I almost called him president, uh, former uh, President uh, Trump received the most votes of any other presidential candidate in history, right? And so that tells us a couple things. Aside from some of the most obvious things, one of the things that it tells us is people were okay or happy with the way he ran the administration right and so seeing the fact that you have the first um black um secretary of defense seeing the fact that you had the first transgender person to be appointed to a cabinet position seeing the fact that you have uh uh men and women from all different um race classes um to be appointed to these positions there, of course, there are going to be some people that are just relatively not happy with that, right? Not to mention, you have a Black woman from Oakland who also happens to be Southeast Asian is your vice president. And, you know, this isn't really a political podcast in no way, shape, or form, but I think that's significant in the um, in the point that you're always going to, like, that's pushing against the, uh, the perceived um, old guard, right? And that, like, that's ushering in a new ideology of what, like, the new the new Congress looks like. And I think um, even prior to uh, Joe Biden being elected president, we started seeing that shift, right? After the 2016 election, you saw this wave of um, younger, blacker, um, more Hispanic, um, more Native American people being appointed into uh, Congress. Like you have the uh, the squad, right? So you got um, Congresswoman uh, Omar, you got Congresswoman um, Otazio Cortez, and like these new figures that are really, like really have the view of the, the, the newer faces of what Congress looks like. And in Georgia, and you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes, in Georgia, not only did you have a presidential candidate win the state, but you had two Democratic candidates also win that same state in the same election year. Like that's unheard of. Like let's not forget, Georgia used to be one of the one of the deep red states, right? 
And in many cases, it still is. And like a large part of that was due to Stacey Abrams, was due to um, the mayor of Atlanta, was due to Kamala Harris, and was due to all these influential individuals. And, you know, let me give credit where credit is due. Due to these influential Black women that went out and made their voice be heard. And so to answer that question, I think, yes, it's moving in, a, in the right direction. But with that being said, you're always going to have people that have an opposing opinion to um, what the mainstream thinks. Yeah, and I, and I definitely think it's, it's always good to shake things up. Um, let's, just listening to Amanda Gorman's poem, one of the lines that stood out to me most when she said, quiet isn't always peace, mm. right? Um, and so, so, so many times when people aren't shaking the boat, people think things are peaceful, right? Yep. Um, and, and definitely sometimes to make, to really shake things up and to make change, you gotta have to, you kind of have to make some noise. Yeah. Um, and so I think Biden is definitely coming in with a point, you know, He's intentionally being diverse and, mm-hmm. and finding diverse people to, to bring to the table. And I think ultimately, no matter how it how it ends up in four years, I think over the next four years, we're going to continue to see great things happening mm-hmm. just because people who who deserve to be at these tables finally have a seat. Right? Definitely. Um, and, and he said something as he was swearing in his um, new cabinet, his new administration, that really stood out to me. He stated, um, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he essentially said that, you know, disrespect of anybody despite race, sex, or, or uh, orientation will not be tolerated. And if I see it, you will be fired immediately, right? And I think, like, that one, that was a, a jab to um, to Trump, um, but I think, like, one that was setting a president, like, despite who you are, despite where you received your education from, despite um, the level of wealth that you may or may not come from, people are going to be treated with the simplicity of respect, right? And people are going to be treated as they should be. And I think like that was one, a good president to set. But number two is show people like what we've seen the last four years, like that's not going to be tolerated in this administration. And, you know, personally, as a black man as um, an immigrant, as somebody of African descent, as somebody from a marginalized class, I I appreciate that because it shows that even though like we still have a lot of um, issues that we need to fix out as a country, we're moving toward the right direction. Yeah, and I, I think that definitely hits on the fact that character matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I a lot of people like this is the first time where think about it like this week these last couple of days we mm-hmm. hadn't had to wake up wondering what the president might have said mm. what the president right? might have done right you know like donald trump was like a ticking time bomb yeah you never knew what was going to happen um just 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 simply being respectful and honoring the job and the position of being the president of the United States of the free world, um, just taking a job seriously is mm-hmm. is an overwhelming, um, a overwhelming piece. I actually, so I posted this thing on our um, on our Instagram pages, and this is probably inappropriate, but I'm gonna read it anyway. So it's kind of kind of referring to what we talked about last week about was Donald Trump like a necessary tragedy for our country, right? Mm -hmm. And almost the idea of if he was in God's plan to show America, you know, what we were really dealing with in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a random, you know, angry Trump supporter come on and and comment, laugh out loud, but it's okay for Biden to touch and rape young kids. And, and, oh, to rape young kids, right, idiots. Mm -hmm. And so I'm laughing, right? Mm-hmm. people it, it is crazy the level of commitment mm-hmm. and just passion people have for, towards donald trump as if he's a good person mm-hmm. like I, i'm a i'm a believer in christ and a christian and just the disbelief of how many christians mm-hmm. there's nothing go- i'm sorry it's nothing godly about donald trump right i mm-hmm. mean um, it's like regardless of your political stance it's easy to tell if someone's a good person or not mm-hmm. a good person. Um, and so it's kind of interesting as we see Joe Biden take over, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see Trump supporters attack his moral character when they had no 
They had no like expectation for Donald Trump mm-hmm. to be morally correct, to be politically correct, or to be um, em- empathetic towards any community yeah. um, in this country. I mean, I think to that point though, like, and like that comment is just atrocious. Uh, and I think that's simply just the best word to use for it. But it's interesting because people look at situations from their vantage points, right? So I'll give you some examples. There are some people that fundamentally believe that the Civil War was about states' rights, right? And even though we all know it's about slavery, because that was the major economic driving force of the South, and, you know, um, the, um, the... the idea or the thought behind ending slavery was the cause of what um, uh, started the Civil War. But there's some people that fundamentally, till this day, still believe that, you know, it was about states' rights. Another um, thing that, you know, and this might be a contentious point, but there are some people that celebrate um, that, you know, most of us celebrate Thanksgiving and most of us, you know, take that time to spend time with our family. But there are some people that fundamentally believe that the pilgrims came to this country and liberated. And I say that in quotes specifically because they had this ideology that, you know, the pilgrims came over, it was a kumbaya, they, they, um, they interacted with the Native Americans and America was born. Where in all actuality, they came to this country and destroyed millions upon, like tens of thousands of tribes and destroyed the livelihood of the indigenous people in this country, right? And, you know, I say that with a contentious point because you and I benefit off that atrocity, right? Like, as our country has developed over time, but, like, back to the point that you just made, there's some people that are so stuck in their ways. There are some people that fundamentally believe certain things that there's nothing that you can say that will change your mind. And I'll add this last point. Earlier um, this week, I saw a post of this like avid Trump supporter had the MAGA hat on and everything. And he gets on and he was like, you know, everybody says Trump supporters are racist and they're bigots and this day and the third. And then he was like, you know, I have a black son and actually pulled his adopted son into the camera and was like, "Uh, I love you, son. And someone's like, I love you, dad. And then he was, and then he was like, "Who, who's our president?" Donald Trump's like, "That's right, son." And it was like, just because you decided that you want to adopt a black boy doesn't equate to the fact that the person that you're supporting isn't avidly promoting inequality, isn't avidly promoting that one on uh, quote unquote one side is right opposed to another. So that 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 was that was pretty funny to me this week. So. Yeah, I saw that video too, man. And it's it's honestly sad how so many times and and it's so many times where as black men or black people, you find yourself in um, majority white spaces. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you hear that term token, right? You're the mm-hmm. token black person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's unfortunate that he used his son as a token to try to combat whether or not Trump supporters as a whole are racist. Yeah. Um, I think it's unfortunate to have put his son in that situation and, and definitely selfish um, of him in general. Um, but I think it's our country has a long ways to go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and before, I think there was Barack Obama was president. Um, and that's definitely when things really started to shape right mm-hmm. um when when we got our first black president that's when you started to see the rise and openly uh white supremacy has been a lot open mm-hmm. um and they got so mad that they elected trump and now we've we fought back and got joe biden so i think this is just the start of healing for our country like yeah. this is this is only the beginning the last 12 years or so has just been revealing to us who we really are as a country mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to be interesting, uh, kind of where we go, go from there. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, I know you, um, I know we kind of hit on the the doctorate subject. So I know you've kind of referred to your, your doctorate that you're pursuing now, but you never really told anybody like what your dissertation is about. Um, so tell the people a little bit about what you're looking into and, and kind of why. Sure. Sure. 
Um, so the the subject matter that I study are first generation low income students. And um, essentially what that is um, are students that come from families where um, they're the first person in their nuclear family to attend and or attain a four-year degree. And the low-income piece is, you know, uh, coming from a family that's below the national income distribution. And although the terms are different, they're because student, these students share a lot of the same characteristics, they're often shared together. And so essentially what I look at is the experiences of uh, these, the student population often referred to as figly students within um, elite institutions, right? And that's significant because the majority of research that is done on the student population is at two-year colleges, four-year public um, institutions, but not a lot of research has been done about like what their experiences are at, um, are like at um, top schools. And, you know, one of the significant points to that is, one of the significant points to that is like just the wealth distribution, right? And it's funny because um, as many of you already know, I attend the University of Pennsylvania, which um, is home to the number one school of business in the world. And I remember a few weeks back, my cousin, who is a junior at Penn, she uh, was telling me that, you know, she's, she's in class with Emily Huntsman. And what's significant about that, Emily Huntsman is the, um, if I believe it correctly, she's the granddaughter of John Huntsman, whose name, um, who is the namesake of the building that the Wharton School of Business is in, right? So that shows you the dramatic wealth disparities. Like you have these family students that I'm talking about that come from family households that make, you know, 40, um, under $35,000 a year, Whereas they might be in a room with a suite mate, or they might be attending class with somebody that literally spends thirty or forty thousand dollars in a week like it's nothing because they again because they come from such a ridiculous amount of wealth. Yeah, so I think that dynamic is interesting. I know, especially in education, there's been so much debate about kind of the appropriateness and the accuracy of um, like general testing. So I know there's been mm -hmm. debates about SATs and mm -hmm. GREs. And um, I know even in the medical field about like MCATs and PCATs and for all kinds of reasons. So there's been a lot of debate about standardized testing. And is it, is it a fair metric? Is it even mm -hmm. an appropriate metric to predict success for students? Mm -hmm. um, but I think in general, just coming from different backgrounds, definitely can determine whether or not you you have the same likelihood to succeed yeah, um, and yeah. definitely could probably be a big impact once you once you do make it on your success definitely definitely but yeah i think to that point like a lot of those tests don't really tell you much about how a student's going to perform right like you take some and i and i remember this because when i um coming into college i took the act right and i think one of the questions on the act was you know one um which one of these um which one of these paragraphs best describes um beethoven's fifth symphony right and you know for a kid that's coming from a low-income background in the middle of the hood like first of all i don't know who beethoven is yet alone do i know what his fifth symphony is Whereas, you know, my peers from the wealthiest suburbs that, you know, they grew up learning about Beethoven. They grew up learning about like his um, music. They grew up in families where they talked about the historical significance of his contribution to um, the arts. Like to them, that's not even, that's, that's a second thought. So of course they're gonna do better. Whereas, you know, somebody like me is looking at that question and they're just confused like, Yo, who who's this Beethoven man they talking about? <laughs> right. I, I mean, shoot, when I was a little, when you said Beethoven, I thought about that movie about that dog. Yeah. <laughs> you, you seen that movie about that yeah. big dog, Beethoven? No. And so, like, to that point, too, like, I remember when I saw that question, I was like, they talking about the dog? Right? Sure. Because, again, like, that's our own, or even, I'll give you another example, right? Um, So, 
Um, a few years back when I was interning um, at the White House, we one of the presentations that we gave was to uh, Jack and Jill um, of America. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Jack and Jill is, it's a very prestigious organization created uh, by um, black people to basically, um, you know, teach our children and connect, um, you know, black people that were doing relatively well off um, and so forth. And so I remember like um, the day my, my supervisor at the time had told me like, you know, um, this weekend we're doing a presentation at the Jack and Jill of America's National Convention and I need you to be there just to, you know, help facilitate and take notes and so forth and so on. I'm like, great, mind you, at this point, the only Jack and Jill that I know about is the storybook. So I'm over here thinking to myself like, wait, we doing a, like, and I was so confused, bro. Like when I tell you, I was so like, I like, I remember walking there, I'm like, yo, why they got all these kids dressed up and all these like pants? And, you know, after like, I, cause when you Google Jack and Jill, the first thing that pops up is the, the storybook, right? And so I was so lost that to the point where like, I felt almost, I don't know if ignorance is the right word to use, but I felt ashamed that I didn't know what this was, right? And so again, because that wasn't part of my upbringing and that wasn't something that, you know, was familiar in the circles I was in, like, I just felt completely confused and, you know, being in that setting and learning what it was, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty interesting. This is something that I would love to get my family and my future children associated with. Yeah, I definitely didn't know about Jack and Jill growing up. Um, I think the first, I mean, it might've been like seeing being Mary Jane or something. Mm. Or I saw like, what is this concept? You know, like you, or or from movies where you see people, you know, usually it's those uppity, mm -hmm. uh, well-off people trying to trying to get their kids into this organization. Yeah. Um, but it, it's definitely exposure. Exposure is is key. It's key mm -hmm. for so many different things. Um, so I did want to bring up. So last episode, you you talked about waking up and the and Thursday being on your mind for your, your child to come. And so I wanted to give people an update. Did your child come <laughs> on Thursday? No, uh, he did not. <laughs> he, he, he's still in there cooking. No, so it's been interesting because um, for those of you um, who are just tuning in, um, my my beautiful fiance and I were expecting our first son, um, Ashton. And I woke up on, I don't know, was it Monday or Tuesday? And something just told me like, this kid was coming on Wednesday. And, you know, Ashley had been having like uh, uh, Braxton Hicks, which are like smaller forms of contractions that indicate that you're going to give birth soon. So I don't know if it was that or a compilation of, you know, the lack of sleep that I've had or just like a dream that I had. But I just knew this kid was coming on on Thursday. So Thursday uh, came by and I was like, today's the day. I packed up the car, made sure all the bags was in there, made sure my computer was like I was ready. And we are, excuse me, we're what now? It is 929 on Sunday night. He's still in there cooking. So at this point, listen, Ashton, whenever you're ready to come, we we we're ready to receive you, my son. Ooh, that's ugh, that's scary that I've never actually like really said that out loud. About to be a whole father. A whole father. So what you, what are you looking forward to most, man? Oh man, where do I even start? Like it's so funny because like I find myself getting excited about like some of the most ridiculous things now, right? Like, um, so my um a group of my friends and I like surprised me yesterday. They bought me this like really nice bottle of whiskey, um, a pack of uh, cigars from this uh cigar lounge here in Philly called Ashton's. So that was uh pretty cool. And then they bought me like this uh Penn alumni um dad hat. And just seeing that dad had like really like it, it made me get my feelings a little bit because I'm like, yo, I'm about to be somebody's whole father. Like, I find myself like watching like Instagram videos about like black fathers. I find myself in so many situations. But I think um, you know, what really boils down to, um, as you know, as some of you may or may not know, I never really um had my biological father in my life. I had a lot of really great uh father figures, but like that knowledge within our community that you know fathers aren't really around like that is one that's a deficit um ideology but 
I don't know. Like, I just, I look forward to being the best father I can be to him. And I look forward to teaching him everything that I wish that I learned, like, at a young age. So, I mean, like, we've talked about this. I, like, my man is going to know how to read a spreadsheet, a uh, financial spreadsheet by the time he's two. He's going to understand the concept of the stock markets, bonds, interest rates, compound interest, all that by the time he's three. And yeah, like I'm just I like I really just look forward to that. I look forward to like just him sitting next to me, like watching the game and talk about how uh Bronny and LeBron going at it, even though LeBron about 40 at this time. So yeah, like I, I like I'm excited about that. Yeah, so as y'all can tell, Will Child is gonna be tired of him. <laughs> ain't, ain't, ain't no three-year-old gonna get two. I ain't even gonna say that word. They is not gonna care about no bonds. They're gonna be trying to eat Starburst and chewing gum. Um, but I know, I know that's definitely exciting. So y'all, y'all keep willing y'all prayers, man. It's gonna have a beautiful family coming soon. And so that's definitely, definitely exciting news. Um, so outside, do you do you do you think um do you think not having your biological father or these other do you think that overall, right? Because we mm-hmm. kind of, we go through th- so many things in life. Um, mm-hmm. But once we get out of it, um, do you think it was a benefit, there was any benefit to it, right? Because when mm-hmm. I when I kind of think about relationships that I built because I didn't mm-hmm. have the greatest relationship with my father growing up, mm-hmm. I almost wonder if I had that connection, would it have not opened those doors? Right. Mm. Um, and so it's interesting that despite the disparity in the relationship, we were able to 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 get so far. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess my emotions about that are a little bit mixed. Like, of course, I would love to have him in my life, but also like I'm really grateful of the men that I did have in my life, right? Like, you know, one person that I refer a lot to is my oldest mentor, Mike Walker, who was my first basketball coach. Another person that I refer to is Mr. Featherstone, who literally, like, when I started college at North Carolina Central University, like, till this day, like, he treats me like a son. Like, I have, like, my mom's brothers, my Uncle Chris, my Uncle Gabriel, my Uncle Charles, like, they've always treated me like, you know, like, I was their child. So I never, and, like, I joke about it a lot, and most of it does come from a place of hurt, but... I like I've seen what a good father, especially a good black father looks like. Right. And and I want to make that distinction because, as I mentioned, too often in our community, specifically in low income communities, like um, you don't really see black fathers. Right. And when you do see them, you see them from a deficit um, perspective. And so for me, um, I am very I'm happy with the men that have been in my life and has have taught me, you know, quote unquote, what it be, it means to be a man. And I don't think not having um, my biological father in my life um, took away from me being who I am or getting to the feats that I've been able to get to. And I think for me, like when I found out that, you know, Ashley was pregnant and when I found out that I was having a son, like that really, like, yes, I was a little bit scared, but I was so excited, right? Because it was like, I have, I now have an opportunity to help mold this person or help teach this person everything that I've acquired over my um, almost 30 years in life. So, yeah. So, so I hope that answers that, that question. It does. It does. And shout out, shout out to, I think a lot of times, even though we are in this man driven society, I think black men don't always get the shout outs they deserve. So, mm-hmm. Really shout out to all the black men who have stepped up for young boys who didn't have those fathers, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. whether it was uncles, I had my uncles play a great role in my life, whether, whether that's grandfathers, whether that's coaches, all mm-hmm. the basketball coaches who go crazy and yell mm-hmm. and scream and make you run till you got to throw up <laughs> all those things, like sincerely, like, I mean, basketball in general is yeah. just, mm-hmm. that's where I learned structure in mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's why I learned that you got to work hard to mm-hmm. get what you want in life. So, you know, what's interesting about that point. So, you know how, like we've mentioned multiple times about like, we used to go to Duke's library and like study, like deep into the night, you know, that actually, like, I actually developed that ideology of character from basketball. I don't know if I've ever told you that story. 
So um, growing up, I attended uh, Minneapolis Roosevelt on the south side of um, Minneapolis. And uh, varsity basketball practice was held um, in the mornings from 6 to 8 p.m., right? For any of you who know what winters in Minnesota are like, they are brutal. I'm talking about 60 mile per hour winds, like below 20, below 30 degree weather. And um, because of the structure of how time was set up, I would wake up every single morning for like um, a three year span. I would wake up every single morning at approximately 4.30, wake up, grab something to eat real quick, take a shower, get dressed, catch the first bus at uh, 5.15 5, um, um, that took me from my, my house to downtown Minneapolis. From downtown Minneapolis, I would then wait and catch the train that took me from downtown Minneapolis to South Minneapolis and then have to walk um, what seemed like the longest two blocks of my life to um, school. And I would get to the gym every morning at approximately about like um, 5.45 a.m. And waiting in that cold was like, that was something different. Like granted, like, yes, I had a coat and I kept relatively warm, but imagine like literally sitting with no type of shelter outside of a gym at 5.45 in the morning is below 20 degrees. The winds, like literally you can feel the cold in your bones. Like that's how cold it was, right? And I always used to ask um, my coach, shout out to uh, uh, Coach Stock. I always used to ask my coach, like, yo, why do we have practice at 6 a.m. in the morning? Like, and his response would always be, it builds character, right? And he would always tell us it builds character. And granted, back in the day, we was like, man, this, this crazy white man just out, got us out here freezing. But to all honesty, like I owe a great debt of respect to him because that did help me build character. That did help me build resilience. That did enable me with the ideology that like, listen, if you want something bad enough, what are you willing to do? Or what are you willing to put forth to ensure that that thing becomes a reality? Yeah, that's real. That's real. And already, I can already hear Ashton complaining about your your, <laughs> your granddaddy's stories. I walked backwards up the hill, six hundred fifty-two miles in the snow. You don't know what it's like, son. <laughs> Privilege. You get the way in the car with with, with with the heat. Yeah, man. Good times, man. It, it was a struggle, man. I don't think people like we kind of talked about probably like our second episode of how far technology has come. Mm -hmm. Like I remember riding school buses where like, bro, the heat never worked. <laughs> like brown seats on a chair, people don't drew mm -hmm. pictures of God knows what on the back of the chairs. Every, every once, one day out of the chairs, whole winter. Chairs are uh, taped up with duct tape. Duct tape, bro. I'm, bro, it was a struggle. And getting up, man, it'd be dark outside. They need a new system, bro. School start. Bus, <laughs> school start at 8 o'clock. The bus pick you up at, at 6. <laughs> I, don't, I never understood the math, man. Um, but shout out to basketball. It, it was definitely, for me, that's when I really realized, like, you got to work for what you want. Mm -hmm. And that's where you actually got to see the benefits, right? Even, mm -hmm. even if I could go back now, it's crazy because it's like, if I had known what I knew now, I would have worked mm -hmm. so much harder back then, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see players who are able to play play basketball in college and mm -hmm. or may even go pro. Them guys put in a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Talk about guys putting in work. Did you catch? Um, and you you all definitely uh, check in um, Daryl's other podcast where they really highlight and talk about sports. But I was watching the highlights. Steph Curry dropped 62 points in the game. Like, you talk about ridiculous. Like, that's wild. Yeah, I think I think people don't got enough respect. They don't. They don't. If he if he had Clay Thompson, they will be contending for a championship. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. But he, he goes to show you, he dominated. Like, people don't understand, he dominated in LeBron James' era. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he was LeBron James, and, like, and I hate to say it, but for a very long time, LeBron James was a second to Stephen the Warriors. 
And yeah. it's interesting too, because like when you look at his trajectory, like granted, like, yes, his father played for the Hornets back in the day, but his dad was not like an exemplary player. His dad, if anything, was a really good role player. And like coming into college, he wasn't really highly, um, he wasn't highly like recruited, ended up going to a small division. What's Davidson like division two or division three school, in North Carolina coming into the league. They said he was too small. He wouldn't be able to compete. He wouldn't be able to keep up. And this man literally like defied the odds and became a, a NBA cheat code. Like I remember at one point EA sports was complaining about the shots that Steph shot because they were like, this is not like, it's, it's breaking the the different coding capabilities of our game because these are normal shots that people take. So, yeah, I, and that's that's super random, but it was just something that I was thinking about. And I was like, you know, you just you got you have to give people their their, their, their dues. Yeah, he just passed Reggie Miller um, for second all time and three pointers made. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only one person ahead of him, and that's Ray Allen. Um, and I'm sure he's definitely going to pass oh, yeah. him. He's, he's, he's coming for that title, bro. He's definitely going to pass him. But he definitely he, – he's the reason LeBron James is not considered better than Michael Jordan. Like, if, yep. we, if we be honest, if there was no Steph Curry, LeBron James would have seven or eight rings right now, and it wouldn't even be a discussion. Yeah. Um, so, shout out definitely. to all the, all the people who people doubted you, right? Um, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, they talk the same way about mm-hmm. him. He's weak. He's mm-hmm. too skinny. He can't mm-hmm. even lift 145, um, but they've, they've changed the world with the way they play the game. And um, so no matter where you come from, mm-hmm. your impact is is necessary. I, I heard this dude talking and, and it's kind of weird, but um, for those people who may not know or may not have figured out where they are supposed to be or kind of the impact that they're supposed to have on the world, mm-hmm. he just gave the simple analogy that, you came from your, you know, where you came from, right? Everybody mm-hmm. came from their daddy, right? And mm-hmm. you are one of millions of sperm cells running this race, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just the fact that you were one of millions and none of the others made it, but you made it, it shows that God put you on this earth for a reason, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so no matter where you find yourself, whether it's at the beginning, whether you or towards the middle and you think you're you found success or you don't even know which way to turn just know the fact that you're still here mm-hmm. um is a sign that you're gonna you're gonna get to where you're supposed to get to um, definitely and it's it's easy to get discouraged right mm-hmm. um i know there's been a lot of times i've been discouraged in life and and me and will kind of we were we kind of refer to where we are and where we're going um but don't let it don't be fooled that we've had trials right we've had we've had hard times we've had times mm-hmm. where we didn't know what to do or mm-hmm. we didn't believe um and so as we encourage you we i definitely want you guys to know that we've seen all phases you know of, of life and kind of where we wanted to go and whether or not we knew how exactly to get there definitely definitely so Today we're gonna we're gonna keep it short today and go ahead and wrap it up. Um, we enjoy talking to you guys. We're gonna be checking in a lot more often. Mm-hmm. Um, Will's about to be a father soon, and so we'll keep you guys up to date on that. Um, so Definitely. we can we can let Ashton listen in and see where his dad's mindset was at right Definitely. before. Um, oh, and if you haven't already, please please go subscribe and download and support, and definitely check out episode four because that was definitely one for the books. Truly yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah, we had a good time last week. Um, so make sure, I think that one was entitled uh, Breaking Generational Curses. Um, and so we talked about some some serious stuff, but we had a good time telling stories as well. Um, so y'all follow us on Instagram at Just Another Pod. Follow us on uh, YouTube. Uh, we post our um, YouTube videos under Daryl Devon Studios. Follow us on Instagram. My personal Instagram is Daryl Devon. And I'm, I am Will on you. Yeah, so let's connect. Um, y'all stay tuned. We got a lot of good stuff coming for you. Um, but just remember, this is definitely more than just another podcast. So until next time, peace. Deuces. This podcast was brought to you by Optical Illusions Photography and Media. Let us capture your best moments in the perfect way.